I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And And this this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. The podcast where we are taking every piece of absolute garbage furniture left by the side of the road, brushing it off, putting a fresh coat of paint on there, changing the little knob pulleys and saying we've created something completely new. Okay. And prettier. We're reading the memoirs so that you don't have to. And we may be funny and we may be snarky. And if that's not your thing, I understand. But you've been warned. So don't get mad. Ashley, who are we thanking this week? This week, I would like to thank Everly Well. Everly Well is a digital healthcare designed for you and all at an affordable and transparent price. With over 30 at-home lab tests, you'll be able to choose the test that makes the most sense for you to get the answers you need, like the women's health test or the food sensitivity test. Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off at-home lab tests at everlywell.com slash worm. Claire. Yeah. If last week was a test, (laughs) would you have passed? No, <laughs> I have nothing to report last week. Last week I had food poisoning. If you listen to the Patreon, you know, I was down and out truly for a week. I just slept through a week. I would wake up every once in a while and go do a single errand and then go right back to bed. <laughs> I've never lost time like that. I've never just gone into a void and come out a week later and been a brand new person. It's just dead time. Ashley. Yeah, Claire. If last week was a memoir, what would you have called it? I would have called it my Claire era. <laughs> Clara. My Clara. Because I have decided to completely revamp my life. I'm doing a whole bunch of all new fresh things and I decided to do them all at once. And I do feel like waking up and saying that like starting today, I'm going to make 18 things different is a bit clear of me. But hey, if you pull it off, think about the miracles. And I am doing well so far. I think I'm four or five days in to my new lifestyle. I haven't had a weekend yet. So that'll be a bit of a test of the waters because one of my big points on this lifestyle is that I'm trying to do like way less drinking. So I guess we'll see how the waters are tested. Good luck. I'll be with you. I'll be your sober companion. Thank you. And now, should we get into this week's memoirist? Yes. Speaking of making parties sound like a bit of a chore, frankly, (laughs) let's talk about this week's book, Choices by Audrina Patridge, To the Hills and Back Again. Oh, that's a clever subtitle. It makes sense. Can I say something controversial? Always. I was reading this book and I was just like, wow, Lauren, Heidi, Whitney, and Audrina are such random names. (laughs) (laughs) What random names for a group of girls? I mean, two Laurens, I feel like, feels by the book. Well, no, that makes sense to me. I think if you're going to have a group of white women, one should be called Lauren and the other should be called Low Show for Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that checks out. To me, two white women are Claren and Ashley. Yeah. But I just feel like Heidi, Whitney, Audrina, random. Really, like, straight down from the hills. (laughs) Okay, so Audrina knows what you want and she's not going to make you settle for less. By, like... Page eight, she was like, all right, here's the truth about the hills. And I was like, thank you. She does give us a brief little dip into her childhood, where she came from. We also have a little intro where she says that this is going to be a book about her. (laughs) This was a line that you really like. She says, it's such a lesson to never judge a book by the cover or a celebrity by a tabloid picture. You never really know what's going on with someone. 
Behind the practice smile and the upbeat interview answers lies a depth of sadness few people know about. So something I've seen only in reality TV, celebrities that I absolutely know are not living perfect lives is that they always think that they have convinced you that their life is perfect. The way that both Christine Quinn and Chris Shell felt the need to be like, I know it seems like my life has been nothing but glitz, glamour, and ease, but it's actually the thing that landed me on a reality show about selling real estate wasn't all an even road. <laughs> I haven't kept up with Audrina and I actually didn't watch The Hills that much. But if you had told me, oh, Audrina's life isn't great, I would have been like, of course. <laughs> I rewatched The Hills during the beginning of the pandemic and became obsessed with it. I was like, there is a lot here that we're not, we should still be talking about all of it. This was the most fascinating look on human. Because I think that there is something about those early reality shows when people didn't have the hyper awareness of the second level of career that comes with it that is so interesting and you can only look at those like you can only watch a real world the hills things like that that's so true and you see that in this book is that there was no clear-cut path for what you do next in a pre-social media reality tv world you just had to take it as it came and run as fast as you can and just do the best and you had no idea what was coming next you had no idea like what your career even was i will say something that's interesting about this intro is she doesn't set you up for what's in this book no a lot of the intros will end with in this book i hope to or i wrote this book too she just ends this with every choice we make in our lives is creating who we are i made a choice to move to los angeles and i ended up on a reality tv show that would open so many doors and create a springboard to explore my passions with every risk and every hurdle comes the big possibility that you'll fail so what Stumbling and falling is how you learn to catch yourself, to rebuild, to grow, and to never let falling down keep you down. We have the power to choose the way we see the world, and I, for one, choose hope. I mean, that just isn't your standard intro, because it could be an outro. I think that what happened here is that she wrote the intro with what she hoped this book would encompass, and she got close, but she didn't go back and re-edit the intro. I think the intro and the outro are usually written last, and she really wrote this book in order, or like her... Ghostwriter did. Someone wrote this book in order. It's interesting. It's an interesting thing to make this about choices because this is a book about how unhappy she ended up for most of her life. Based on situations that obviously I'm not trying to take like free will away from her. They were her choices, but I think to paint them that way is like almost hurting herself. Anyway, as Ashley said, so we start off with a two-page look at her childhood. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad is an engineer for our family business, which makes mechanical parts for big companies to use on anything from airplanes to rides at Disneyland. She's like, funny enough, growing up, I didn't watch that much reality TV. And it's like, there was not much reality TV. She grew up, she was very popular. She says later that she was never involved in drama. Everybody liked her. She was pretty sweet. She went to church. She was homecoming queen. She claims she won academic accolades. She wanted to be on TV someday, but she said her favorite classes in high school were science and art. At the time, I thought about going to school to become a psychologist. I always liked listening to my friends share their problems, giving advice, and trying to help. People came to me, so it felt natural to think about ways I could turn that into a career. I was waiting every moment throughout this book for her to have been like, I was almost a psychologist. <laughs> she ends up not even going to college. But after high school graduation, I started taking classes at Orange County Community College at night. And in the daytime, I would go to LA to audition for commercials, music videos, and modeling gigs. I think after one semester, she decides to drop out of community college and her parents are very supportive and saying, why don't you just move to LA and see if you can make this work? You can always become a psychologist down the road. So she goes... This whole thing of like, you can go try to become a model and an actress. And if that doesn't work out, you can always go back to psychology school was one of the things that really scared me about therapy for a long time. Because I lived in LA for a long time and I knew a lot of people that did that. Thinking about you not going to therapy, I was like, thank God Audrina is not a therapist. What if someone had ended up with Audrina 
trying to fix their problems. But that's what I'm saying is like when I lived in LA, I moved out there with a whole group of people from my major in college. And I think two of them are therapists now. I knew a ton of people that did this unsuccessful in the entertainment industry to therapist pipeline. And it really scared the shit out of me. And I get that that's not always the case and that's not everyone, but it was like a genuine fear in my mind and it was founded in something. Luckily, Audrina became too successful. So her story was just luck after luck. I've never seen anyone else just hit it out of the park week one, the way Audrina did, the way things lined up for her. 75 memoirs in, this is the most incredible (laughs) one hit wonder I've ever seen. Her dad moves her down to LA. They go to check in an apartment complex. In the apartment complex, there's no apartments left. Luckily on the way out, they're in the elevator. They hear two girls talking about how they have an empty room in their apartment and they don't know how to fill it. Audrina's like, I'll live there. And they're like, okay. Two weeks after she moves in, Adam DeVello is scouting out the apartment complex because he wants Lauren Conrad and her best friend, Heidi Montag, to live there for a new spinoff reality show they're doing. Audrina's down by the pool. He approaches her and she says, at first when Adam approached me and introduced himself, I thought he was just another cheesy producer trying to hit on me or invite me to an exclusive club that night. But he talked about the shows he worked on and I began to think he could be legit. He asked why I'd moved to LA, where I was from and where I was working. I told him I had recently started a job as a receptionist at Quixote Studios, a photo, video, and event studio in town that was the location of magazine and commercial shoots. Adam told me he was moving quickly to put together this spinoff show, and just a few days later, I was in the MTV offices to meet the rest of the showrunners and producers. I shared the basics about myself and learned more about the show. They told me that, based on my background and the time they spent getting to know me, they thought I would be a great fit for the group of girls. So she gets the job as Heidi and Lauren's new LA friend who can show them around, Her boss is at Quixote Studios. She's so grateful that they were like, you can actually do both. You can have this reality TV job and still work here and we'll even let you film here. And she's like, God, they were so kind to me. And it's like, well, of course they would. They got their studio on TV. (laughs) They weren't like a law office. They were a production company that did cool young things. Yeah. My favorite fact is once I signed onto the show, I wasn't allowed to go to the pool for two weeks until we officially started filming because the producers wanted me to meet Heidi and Lauren organically on camera. What could be less organic than meeting on camera. It would have made way more sense if they were like, oh, this is our friend Audrina. We met her around at the pool. I watched the first episode the other day and they have Lauren like coming home from an interview and Heidi is already at the pool hanging out with Audrina and Lauren meets Audrina and Audrina says something stupid about Lauren's interview. And then Heidi's like, well, she's our friend now. It's (laughs) truly insane. She's like, you'll have to come out with us. You have to. And Audrina's like, great. <laughs> what does Audrina say about the interview? Lauren is like, I think it went well. And Audrina was like, I'm sure you'll get it. And Lauren was like, it's making me nervous that they haven't called yet. And she's like, yeah, sometimes they don't call. <laughs> <laughs> One of the main things that I got out of this rewatch that I did like a year and a half ago was the level of unprofessionalism of these 19 year olds at these high profile internships. The way that Lauren is kind of just like a smug bitch and teen Vogue. Whitney was the goody goody, but I was like, why was Lauren breaking the rules? This is insane. You're not allowed to break the rules at an internship. You are if you're also on the cover of Teen Vogue, which she was while she was quote unquote interning there. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, Ashley, but everyone at the office knew she was on a reality show. How could they have guessed? (laughs) So basically this book is broken down into two parts. It's the Hills part where she gives you all the dirt that she wants about the Hills. And then her relationships. So I'll just run through and give you the dirt about the hills. So one of the things I found really interesting was the part right at the beginning when she's talking about meeting Heidi and Lauren. And she says that Heidi was super easy to talk to, but Lauren was a lot more closed off. And she kind of 
attributes that to Lauren being more of a reality TV vet than Heidi. But I do think it's really interesting the way it illustrates that Heidi is such an easy target. Like she really is someone who was looking for connection. And if the producers put someone in front of her face and were like, this is your new best friend, she was like, thank God. And if the producers were like, this is your new boyfriend, she was like, okay, I'm so happy. I do wonder if it's less that she was a mark and more that Lauren was a hardened veteran. Because I do think if you're 19 years old, you've got this cool new job and you're told, here's this other normal, cute 19 year old girl and you guys are going to be hanging out every day together. Wouldn't you be open to hanging out? I think it's both. I think you see in... Audrina, the same thing you see in Heidi, that they do have this excitement about new people, whereas Lauren is a lot more closed off to them. And I think that it makes Lauren come off as a bitch and she probably is a way bigger bitch. But I think that where it led for Heidi and Audrina in their lives is a lot more dangerous. Oh, yeah. I mean, these were essentially college-age girls. Think about yourself as a freshman in college. I was a fucking idiot. I mean, everyone you met the first day of orientation, you're like, you're going to be my soul sister. We should get matching tattoos. We're going to know each other forever. And then you never speak to them again two weeks later. Yeah, except for then for Audrina and Heidi and for all these people, they're like forever linked in pop culture, which is very stressful. So then she gets into how big the show became. At one point, I think she says it was the biggest show on cable. I mean, I think it was getting millions of views, which now I don't even think primetime TV shows are getting. And something else she reminds us about this time is this was at peak Britney Spears, Paris Hilton, tabloid paparazzi era. This was the Perez Hilton days. And they were getting the brunt of that as well. They were superstars for the paparazzi to follow around. I mean, they were on the cover of Rolling Stone and I remember that cover. Me too. It was a huge deal. I also want to point out this line, a little earmark for later. She says, I've come to learn that you never know who's using you or who will turn on you to get their 15 minutes in the spotlight. I don't think that she has come to figure that out to this day. I mean, her first chapter is about all the cool things that she got to do. And I think as a person, she is quite sweet and she does want to come across as genuinely grateful for everything she's had. So this whole first chapter is kind of just listing out all the cool, amazing things she got to do because of the Hills and a real nod to gratitude. She talked about going to the 2007 MTV Video Awards when her, Lauren and Whitney all get to present the Male Artist of the Year. Justin Timberlake apparently won and Lauren and Whitney were so excited because they were super fans. Justin would not take the award from them. He made Chris Brown go get it from oh, them. Oh, yeah. I actually watched this clip. It was not Chris Brown. Who was it? It was Timbaland, but Chris Brown had just performed and he shouted out Chris Brown in his speech. So I like see how that's confusing. I cannot believe that she was just going off of memory and she didn't use YouTube and none of her editors checked YouTube because it's a pretty... you thought to do that and we're not, we're not good researchers. Anyway, more importantly, Justin Timberlake apparently takes the mic and says, MTV, we want more music videos, less reality TV, which is a pretty rude thing to say when the reality TV people are right there. Luckily, since then, we've learned that Justin Timberlake sucks dick. <laughs> she talks about being so famous that she's getting flown out to go to birthday parties. She went to a birthday party where the other celebrities that had been flown out were Leonardo DiCaprio and Leo actually persistently pursued her, got her number, and they texted for a week or two. So... I know it's hard to remember, but at one point in time, Audrina was date Leonardo DiCaprio famous. I think this is a fun little shout out. She says that with all of the people who were like rude and looked down upon them because they were reality stars, she says the nicest person that she's ever met in an award show was Rihanna. I love so. that. Also, to correct what I said, she said, by the end of the third season, The Hills was the highest rated cable show of 2008. So, I mean, it was a huge hit and I kind of think it's so faded into that good night that it's hard to remember. But these were some of the most famous girls at the time. And she literally was a 19-year-old who was just sitting by her pool one day. You yeah. had no real 
skill that she's bringing to the table. There was no thing that she was selling. She just happened to be at the pool and then she just stayed by the pool. And now that was her job. And she was the most famous person in the world for being by the pool. I love this line where she says, the funny thing is I didn't know about stylists at the time. So either I always dress myself or I work with a designer showroom to borrow a dress. I've seen red carpets from that era. A lot of people didn't know about stylists at the time. Yeah, she talks about partying with P. Diddy, Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears, David Spade. The idea that David Spade at any point was an A-list partier in L.A. does make me laugh, but I know that it was technically true. He was huge. Yeah, but why? Because he was in Emperor's New Groove? He was on SNL. Just a throwback call out Hyde. Who remembers Hyde? The oh it place God. to be. One night at Hyde, she asked the DJ to play Don't Stop Believin' by Journey, and she's like, he Diddy sang along with us. It was so fun. And I'm like, damn, that does sound fun. Something else that was crazy that I learned from this is they're doing 28 episodes a season and they were shooting virtually year round. Yeah. Which when we get into the, was the Hill scripted or not? I think that this really plays into it and why Audrina does not know how to answer. But the fact that her life was both created and completely controlled by the show where she was playing her life is very Kardashian colloquium. I would have loved to have her read this book and give her take because you very much see how the idea that the show would be scripted is kind of an impossible question to ask because when your entire life is being filmed, if the producers are organizing your life, then what's being filmed becomes your real life. The people she dates, the people she's friends with, the relationships she has completely are controlled by whether or not they can be on the show. So she spends the entire time really going back and forth between was it reality or was it contrived? And I don't think that there is an answer. It was her reality the entire time. And I don't mean this to be a knock on her. At 19 years old, you have such a small sense of self you are rebuilding a life from scratch. You've never had an adult life. You're starting in LA with nothing and out of nowhere, everything she built came from this fake reality. It's kind of a very interesting case study and simulation and an online persona. Like all she is, is her persona. She says, nothing was scripted. So the words that we said and the things that we chose to do during those arguments were real either way. But me randomly running into someone I was fighting with at a coffee shop so that we could fight some more, that wasn't so random. She's a bit of a Chris here in that she is being herself, even though she talks about having sort of an Audrina persona for the show where she would block things out and do what she knew that she was supposed to do for the show. But she also, I think, was saying what she would genuinely say in that situation where I think other people would really hype up the drama and like go crazy for the cameras. And I think that she is like, why would we do that? We're just friends hanging out. We just ran into each other at this coffee shop because they wanted us to argue, but they want us to solve our problem. (sighs) I don't think they want them to solve it. They want them to fight a lot. Yeah, I also think you see this a lot with new housewives. If someone else is fake fighting with you for TV, it still real hurts. Like you still kind of can't believe that your friend would throw you on the bus like that. And so I think she's constantly caught off guard when people she trusted off camera would hurt her on camera and she can't separate that she feels off camera betrayed. She says it wasn't necessarily about faking emotions, but rather turning up the intensity. And I do think that for her, that was true. Whereas I think for people like Spencer, he was like, let me just say something fucking wild for a storyline. He was faking an emotion and turning up the intensity on that fake emotion whereas she was like we're just grumpy with each other and pretending it's like a fight right she talks about lauren specifically she says her and lauren did not keep speaking after lauren left the show she says part of the reason is one lauren and i had the same agent and publicist it seemed to me that i was getting requests opportunities and gigs that our mutual agent was giving to lauren instead yes i blame my agents for this but it still wasn't great for my friendship with lauren I also found her to be controlling over her friends. If you're in her circle, you have to do and say what Lauren does and says. Otherwise, you're on the outs. 
I mean, that rings true. I, like I said, just watched the pilot. And when Heidi doesn't do exactly what Lauren wants to do, Lauren is such a bitch about it. I do think Lauren came to the show thinking, well, this is my show and you're all lucky to be here and you're supposed to work for me. Yeah. And then the other thing she says is that after all the shit talking Lauren did about Justin Bobby, famous Justin Bobby, when Justin and I were broken up, Lauren ran into him in Vegas and according to a good friend of mine, ended up hooking up with him. When I heard this, I felt so betrayed. So I don't think that this actually happened. I tried to research it and there's a lot of information online about whether or not they actually hooked up. I just can't imagine. I think Lauren thinks she's so much better than Justin Bobby. Yeah. But supposedly producers paid Audrina's friends to tell her that this happened. So she was like, why wouldn't I believe my friends telling me this? But it's because no one was loyal to her. The whole situation unfolded on the show, but neither of them would answer my calls or texts until the cameras were rolling. Apparently, Lauren was saving her take for the camera. And when we finally talked, she had it all twisted around to make me sound like I was delusional and out of my mind. Then she got mad at me. Lauren and I were never really friends again. Shortly after that, Lauren decided to leave the show. So this is a perfect example of how, sure, the drama was fake. The producers paid Audrina's friends, allegedly, to convince her this is happening. But the fallout on both ends did end a friendship. Speaking of Justin Bobby, she really dives into it here and it is stressful. So hold on to your hat if you don't want to hear about a relationship that will stress you out because this is the prelude to a relationship that will fuck you up. From here on out, we're on chapter three now. The rest of these chapters are dedicated to her romantic relationships. And I don't want to criticize her. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but it is it is interesting to note that everything that happens to her post Hills is dominated by her relationships with men. Yeah. And I mean, she does acknowledge it. She says that she was crafting her entire professional life around the men she was with. It doesn't seem like there's a friend. It doesn't seem like there's a particular passion. She moved to Los Angeles at 19 years old, hoping to make it. She made it at 19 and a half. And from there, I don't think anything in her life had any legs to it. Nothing was real. Her entire year for six years was controlled by filming the hills she was constantly constantly under the control of these producers i think what she wanted was a true stable relationship and like someone she could genuinely lean on and i think that she thought a romantic relationship there was more loyalty there than a friendship that was for tv and it there never was so that is hard to watch let's get into the justin bobby relish she says they met before The Hills, but he was introduced as a new love interest on The Hills, I think season two or three. So they met when she was 19, when she was working at Quixote Studios. He was a hairstylist slash aspiring musician. I have to say, looking back, what does that mean? They met in the first three weeks she was in LA. So yeah. they met before The Hills, like the single month she was in LA, not shooting The Hills. Yeah. It was one of those things they saw each other and immediately were obsessed and they started dating. She says that she's never had chemistry with anyone the way that she had chemistry with him. He styled her hair. He dyed it darker. She loved that. She also says some like kind of stressful lines where she's like, I loved it and I loved that he loved it. I really admired Justin for how he didn't seem to care what other people thought. That enabled him to do his own thing in so many ways, but it also meant that he wasn't always in tune with what I was feeling or needing from him. <sighs> That's a take that I don't know is the take. We were always very flirty with each other and our friends would sometimes comment on our intense connection when we all hung out that we weren't officially dating. I wanted to know where we stood and when I would occasionally ask him if we were together or what we were doing, he would be vague and dismissive. He'd typically respond, let's just see what happens. Why do we need a label? She says that they never once were boyfriend and girlfriend. and the They lived together, but they were never boyfriend and girlfriend. And he never once said, I love you, which is crazy because then she'll come back and be like, listen, it wasn't always fair the way he was portrayed by the production. And I'm like, I don't know, man. 
For him to never commit to you wholly is pretty fucked up. It seems like they portrayed him exactly right. The majority of their relationship, she says that he would disappear for days to weeks at a time. She just wouldn't be able to get a hold of him. And then when he heard that she was dating somebody else or saw a photo of her with somebody else, he would just come right back and be like, stop it. What are you doing? And like kind of scold her for dating anyone else. And then she would be like, okay, then you have to stay here and be with me. And he would be like, okay, I'll stay here. And she'd be like, okay, see, he can change. We're together. And then he would do it again. And she'd be like, see, I was playing games too. If he would abandon me, I would start dating someone else. And it's like, that's not the same game. It's still his rules. If I wasn't at his place, he was at mine. We were doing everything together day and night. Maybe I was young and naive, but in the beginning, before the cameras got involved, it really was great. Justin was showing me that he was much more than just the bad boy or the brooding, mysterious drummer. He was also sensitive and caring and passionate and soulful. It felt like as long as we had each other, we'd be okay. But when he started appearing on the show, everything kind of changed. That's not true. He started the show three years after you guys met, and to that moment, he still had not committed to date you. And when she talks about how he would just go disappearing, she goes, I would focus elsewhere on pursuing my acting career, going out with friends and traveling. I was hardly home on the weekends. He actually brought this up to me recently saying that it could never really have worked out between us because I was so busy. I don't know if I buy that, but he's right that I was concentrating on my career and making important decisions. It is insane for him even this many years later to be like, yeah, it's your fault. We never worked out. She wanted to be with him so badly. She says he looked very cool and unemotional most of the time, but I can assure you when we were alone and off camera, he was much more romantic and much clearer about his feelings for me. So between not clear at all and still not definitive, he was slightly clearer. And then she talks about how he was really hurt by the way he was portrayed on the show. Even the less malicious comments would bother him. If some of the girls asked if we were exclusive or if we defined our relationship yet, he would internalize that as pressure to commit or get serious when I wasn't even the one saying it. That is not a malicious comment. If he's internalizing it as a malicious comment, that's a very reasonable question to ask somebody who's been dating someone for like four years. To be like, oh, is he planning on making you his girlfriend? Oh, you live together? Are you guys together? No? Okay, sorry that that... I didn't realize you guys were roommates. That wasn't what it seemed like because you're necking, but... (laughs) So yeah, they brought him on season three and then he became a permanent part of the cast after that. During one of the off periods though, she started dating Chris Pine. They had met at some concert or something and started dating secretly, but he didn't want to be a part of the show. So they had to break up because realistically, as I said before, she can only date somebody who will be part of the show because if they're not gonna be part of the show and she's being filmed all the time, she can't keep her life that separate. Justin was seeing those photos of me and Chris too and he started getting upset, but we weren't in a committed relationship and I could go days or even a week without hearing from him. Jesus Christ. The way that she talks about how she feels so guilty all the time about the way that he didn't like the way he was portrayed on the show. I hate that so much. There are so many men that I've met who will be angry about the way that they're portrayed by a girl online. Like now that women can share stories on social media. I one time saw a TikTok of a girl who went on a date with a guy. As soon as they met up, he said, you look bigger than in your pictures and poked her tummy. So she went home and she was like, fuck this and made a TikTok about it. And he blew up her phone texting her being like, take that down. It's out of context. It's out of context, out of context. It's like, no, it isn't. You can't be mad about the way you're portrayed online if you're a fucking dick head that just is how you are like take a look when you watch the show it seems like i'm obsessed with justin and feeling every emotion so intensely while he just broods and says bizarre cryptic things and then we either break up or move in together break up or move in together and you're not i can't get over it she also is like it's not fair the way that lauren talked about him however i do see that justin didn't help things when i tried to get lauren and justin together like that scene where i had them get dinner and justin belches in her face and you're like (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. How did he think that was going to come across on camera? He thought that was going to play well on camera. He's shocked at how they portrayed him. He's sad at the way he came across when they edited him to be burping at the table because of that time he burped at the table. 
<laughs> and I'll give her, she's like, there's scenes where one time we were hanging out and we were making out in the pool and then he left, but they edited it to make it look like I got in the pool and he just like left. And I get it. They kind of edit things. She says all of those long pauses where they're just staring into the distance at the end of every conversation. It's edited that way. But also, can I say, there must have been long pauses where you were staring into the distance. Well, I do think if you're listening to someone speak, you're okay. probably like looking. So I think they can use that kind of B-roll. Oh, yeah. But I will say, you can't edit a burp into a scene. <laughs> you can't edit that in. So... Justin Bobby, I don't, it's crazy. Listening to her defense of him, I'm like, Audrina, Audrina has never learned disease. She really does. She has it worse than anyone we've ever read. So during one of these off times, she meets this guy named Corey Bowen, Bohan, Bohan. What do you want to call it? For the, I have no idea how to say it. So how are we calling it? Can we it? just say Corey? Yeah. He's a BMX bike competitor. At first, she doesn't like him that much. They're both dating other people, but slowly but surely, they hang out in big groups long enough that one day, after her and Justin Bobby break up, production says, why don't you bring him on for a date? And so she calls him up and she's like, would you be willing to go on a date with me for the show? He's like, sure. And she's like, yeah, I didn't even feel any sparks. I thought we were just having a totally normal platonic fake date for the show. But after he dropped me off at my apartment, he gave me this long, hard kiss and it turned out the whole date had been real. And I think this is what I say when... To ask her, was the show fake? She doesn't know. She really doesn't. The way that she talks about dating and dates and stuff, she's like, it was clearly real because when the cameras were off, he still kissed me. And it's like, it's not literally cameras rolling or not rolling. The way that Justin Bobby weaseled his way onto the show and then stayed on the show after they broke up, that doesn't mean times that you guys weren't together and the times that you were together are all completely separate times. Like Corey still could have been trying to get on the show or still could have been manipulating you in different ways just because there wasn't literally a camera there. But also the idea that she doesn't get to decide for herself what's real or what's not. Yeah. The idea that something she could have thought was a fake date would then get to kiss her sincerely. I think that's what's upsetting to me. She talks a lot about how she developed in the later seasons an armor and a way to protect herself. And she claims at one point she got to the point where anybody could say anything to her face and it would not hurt her because she learned to just shut out the haters, which I don't know that I believe truly. I don't think Audrina is that tough, but she says she was able to see it as that's the character Audrina and she's playing Audrina. But the idea that she doesn't know if character Audrina or real Audrina was on that date until he decides that it was a real date. That's what makes me nervous for her. And also it wasn't even in her mind that she would have a place to decide. There was no space in her brain to be like, do I actually like this guy? When her and Corey start dating, it gets back to Justin. Justin's obviously mad. And she said, Justin, you won't commit to me. So why should I commit to you? That's not fair. Justin was out there dating and doing God knows what and expected me to be sitting around waiting for him to call. After years of putting up with it and making excuses and holding on to hope, I finally called him out on the double standard. So after that point, Justin just started not showing up to film. He ignores calls from the producers. He got really mad. At the end of the hills, Justin and I were together. He was on the show because of his relationship with me. But now that we were no longer together, I expected him to go off the air. They kept him on the air and they even manufactured a relationship between him and Kristen that he willingly and like happily participated in to keep him on the show, which Audrina seems like very hurt and shocked by, but I just want to be like Audrina. So then she tells the story how production really wanted her to have this explosive fight with Kristen about it. She wasn't going to give it to them. She's like, no, I'm not. I don't care. I'm not having a fight with Kristen over Justin Bobby. So they blocked her car in the driveway and wouldn't physically let her leave until she had the fight with Kristen. 
And so then she calls her agents and her lawyers being like, well, what can I legally do? They have me physically trapped at this place trying to get me to have a fight. And she goes, meanwhile, Kristen didn't want to wait around anymore. So she was there trying to calm me down just enough to film the scene and get it over with. We laughed about it off camera, but on camera, we yelled and glared and made it work. That is such a weird the way that she acts like Kristen was the savior who came and worked it all out. So the producers still got what they wanted. The producers still got what they wanted. Kristen was still going along with the storyline where she's dating Audrina's ex. She's still like coaxing a fight out of Audrina. And Audrina walked away from the situation being like, I was in control. Yeah. It's very bizarre the way it's written and the way that she seems to have made peace with it in her mind. She says that Justin's relationship with Kristen started out fake, but they began partying together behind the scenes a lot. I think he might've started catching feelings for her despite his more cynical intentions. I didn't care. I didn't want to know. And then she says this, which really, this is horrifying. Are you about to read the same line I'm about to read? I don't think we can look back and say that we ever gave our relationship a hundred percent because of the show. And then she goes on this whole thing about how grateful she is to know Justin anyway. First of all, I mean, we, your relationship went on for an extra four and a half years because he wanted to be on TV. Also, like you would have given it 100% at the drop of the hat if he had let you. You can't say we never give it 100%. If somebody is choosing not to give you 100%, you can't be like, well, we never really tried. They didn't want to. That counts as trying. You tried. You tried. They didn't try back. That is trying. <laughs> I mean, we'll get into this later, but she has like a real lack of understanding about what it means to try and make a relationship work. Then she says an absolutely horrifying line. She says, I'm often asked, will we end up together for so long? I couldn't answer that question. I mean, you were never even in a relationship. Will you end up together? You couldn't even get him to call you his girlfriend. The truth is, I cannot say with certainty that our romantic relationship is over. I can't deny our natural connection and chemistry. We've continued to have our ups and downs. I just want to like sit her down and be like, Audrina, Leonardo DiCaprio saw you from across the room. Like, you're gorgeous. People like you. You're fun. You're nice. She talks a lot about her great taste in music. Try with someone else. Just because you've met someone doesn't mean you have to make that person your one and only for the rest of your life. I also can't get over, will we end up together? For so long, I couldn't answer. But the truth is, I cannot answer. (laughs) (laughs) After many years of not knowing, I've come to the conclusion that I I don't don't know. know. (laughs) Then she gets into more about playing the role of Audrina and it kind of covers a lot of what we said. There's not a ton to this book. This is a stressful line. Yeah. She says, in some ways, I found all of the production almost therapeutic as I navigated my early 20s, my career and various relationship issues. For the sake of good TV, you dig deep and lay out your grievances. In some ways, it's actually quite healthy and the producers knew us well enough to ask deep questions and push us towards new conclusions about our relationships or behavior. They were almost like therapists. No, it's not. They're manipulating you. It's their job to make you make good TV. They're not there for your mental health. These are the people that would later lock her into a home and make her fight with Kristen Cavallari. Eventually, the gray area between what was real and what was produced inspired me to create a separate on-air persona. That's when she comes up with Audrina. And then she just tells more stories about the way that the produced fighting had negative effects. Like one time they tried to make a storyline that Audrina was hitting on Spencer and Here's what I don't understand. So the way they made that happen is she was on the way to an airport and they're like, hey, do you mind just stopping off at this Froyo place? We need you to film a scene real quick. She gets there and there's Spencer with flowers. That gets leaked, obviously, to Heidi that Spencer and Audrina had this romantic Froyo date, which Jesus Christ, have you ever heard anything more 2007 than a romantic <laughs> Froyo date? Later, they're all going to a party in Vegas. Producers hold back Spencer and Audrina so that then when they all walk through the door where Heidi is managing the door, it looks like they came together. Heidi and Andrina get into a fight. She doesn't believe it. But I'm like, 
why didn't Spencer explain to Heidi what the deal was? Like, have you watched the show? Not really. Spencer literally exists as an agent of chaos. He is pure evil, straight from the depths of hell. He has Heidi in a fucking headlock, and it's terrifying to watch, and it really fucks me up that they're together to this day. If the producers went to Spencer and they said, I need you to go have sex with Audrina for drama, he would have done it. It's just sad that Heidi genuinely was upset with Audrina and didn't know it was happening. And Audrina's like, I didn't even know who'd be at the Froyo shop. It's not my fault. I didn't know what they were holding me back. It's not my fault. And it's not her fault. But like Spencer bought flowers. And Spencer let his girlfriend think that he was hooking up with Audrina because Spencer will do anything to like remain relevant. He has said a lot of times that he was like, I knew it was my job to come onto that show and play the villain. And it's like, that's like worse almost. Whether the friendships on the show were ever real, he did irreparably fuck people up by playing the villain. This was not a scripted TV show. Like you said, real people's lives got cut off in the fallout. She then talks about The Hills, New Beginnings, which I didn't watch The Hills, but I knew The Hills. I didn't watch The Hills New Beginnings. I did not watch New Beginnings. And I don't know The Hills New Beginnings. She does say that her and Heidi and Spencer are all friends now. She really likes Heidi, even though they have their ups and downs. But she does say, another savvy reality TV vet is Stephanie Pratt, the queen of stirring the pot. Stephanie doesn't actually have a lot to say on her own, but she wanders around looking for opportunities to create drama between friends. This is the only person she says something like truly mean about is Stephanie Pratt. She says, the difference between Kristen Cavallari and Stephanie Pratt is that Stephanie truly is a troublemaker. That's who she's always been, both on and off camera. I'd been warned for years to be careful around her and never to trust her. I've been told that she's not loyal. She's not there for you. She turns her back on you in a second. And my experiences with her to come on The Hills New Beginnings would prove it. So then we go back into the full story with her and Corey. They meet in 2006 when The Hills was still on. And it was one of the times that she was still on and off with Justin Bobby. And at this point, they were off. Then Justin Bobby finds out that she's talking to this guy, Corey, and starts trying to get her back. Corey sees a text from Justin that says, just know you're mine first and always, which horrifying. But Corey sees it, freaks out. She ends up being like, listen, the thing with me and Justin is not over, so we shouldn't see each other anymore. She starts with Justin again, breaks up with Justin again. She says like at one point, my energy was so confusing that the Hills production team asked me what was going on. I was clearly talking to Justin a lot and the producer said, if you're getting back together with Justin and breaking up with Corey, let us know we need to film it. It was so strange to have that outside pressure. I wasn't breaking up with Corey because we weren't really together and I wasn't getting back together with Justin because we were never officially together. Couldn't a girl date in peace? I mean, literally no. Unfortunately, you've brought both of these men onto the reality TV show that you're on. I do think that you deserve to be able to figure it out for yourself, but... You can't date off camera once you've brought them on TV. At some point they break up and she starts saying Ryan Cabrera. Do you guys remember him? This was a quick stop on the way down for Audrina. Get it? Did he also date Ashley Simpson when the Ashley Simpsons show premiered? Yeah. She talks about Ryan Cabrera. Apparently Ryan Cabrera was known for having sick parties and was like the nicest man in the world. She loved dating him. She says, I was glad to be with someone who obviously felt so strongly about me and wasn't afraid to show it. But I admit I felt a little stifled. She says, Ryan is truly the happiest person on earth and such a delight to be around. Over time, we felt like there were sparks. Compared to Justin, Ryan was emotionally available and there for me no matter what. He would show up and surprise me with my favorite candy or trips or anything to brighten my day. He was always thoughtful and kind and so romantic. He'd cook dinner for me with music and candlelight or set up a movie night with blankets. There was no uncertainty, no weeks of no communication and no wondering where I stood. The problem is, she says, I wasn't as head over heels for him as I wanted to be. Above all, I never wanted to hurt him or jeopardize our friendship. Luckily, she breaks up with him. They stay friends. He seems like the greatest guy of all time. 
Yeah, I think that overall, she just has no idea what she wants. She's so confused. And can I tell you, if you need answers, Everlywell is your place. When you know more, you can do more. What if you could use science to discover more about your body? Find out what you need for a healthier tomorrow with Everlywell. It's a digital healthcare designed for you, all at an affordable and transparent price, which is to me the most important thing because let me tell you, a lot of healthcare lacks that transparent pricing. Everlywell also has high quality vitamins and supplements to support your overall health. Choose from a variety of options, including vitamin D, vitamin D3, and omega-3 fish oil. They have over 30 at-home lab tests, and you'll be able to choose the test that makes the most sense for you to get the answers you need, like the women's health test or the food sensitivity test. So Everlywell ships the products straight to you with everything you need all in one package. So you do your at-home test, you collect a sample, you use the included prepaid shipping label, and you mail the test back to a certified lab. Your physician-reviewed results will get sent right back to your phone in just days, and you can share the results with your primary care physician to help guide you for the next steps. So Claire and I are getting ready to take the food sensitivity test. And boy, oh boy, I cannot wait to find out what's making me feel so sensitive lately. For listeners of this show, Everlywell is offering a special discount of 20% off at-home lab tests at everlywell.com slash worm. That's everlywell.com slash worm for 20% off your next at-home lab test. That's everlywell.com slash worm. And just in the nick of time, guess who worms his way back into her life? (laughs) So she breaks up with Ryan because of production. They had already been scheduled to hang out at his next concert. So they still had to go through with it, even though she had dumped him. So she goes to this concert. She's crying the whole time. She drives home and who should call Corey. What happened next proves the saying timing is everything. And one thing Corey has above all else is incredible timing. I don't don't think think that's that's true. (laughs) I think that whatever timing he chooses to focus on her is the right timing in her mind. I mean, this is somebody she's already not chosen twice. Yeah. This is somebody that like she's hooked up with. They kind of faded. They started dating. She didn't choose him. Now he's back. They will date and break up and date and break up for the next like seven years straight. They'll be on and off. So to be like, ah, the timing, it's not the timing. It's just like I said that she knew him. And once you meet her, the chances of getting back together are high. So after The Hills ends, it's 2010. She ends the season dating Corey. Her and Corey have gone back together at this point. They had been kind of off camera about it. She brings him to the rap party where she sees Justin from across the room and completely ignores him. And they don't really know what's going on. She decides to take six months off just to hang out. She goes back home. It's the first time in her life since she was 19 years old that she wasn't filming around the clock and completely at the mercy of production. I had to create a completely new lifestyle and a new routine and decide what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. It sounds a little crazy, honestly, but so much of my time was at MTV's discretion that I had to relearn how to make my own choices about my time and to live on my own terms. And of course, there's Corey. Corey is a BMXer. They're spending all of their free time together. It seems like they're having so much fun. He loves to cook for her because he's an athlete, doesn't drink or party a lot. That's what she says. But then later, it seems like all he does is drink and party. So I kind of don't understand that. Yeah. At this point in time, he was not drinking and partying a ton. And she loved that he would wake up early and they were healthy and they'd work out and then they'd spend all their time together. And she says he was so romantic at the beginning. So this is what her life's about. And also, she says something she loved about him was that he was very physically protective. She had stalkers while she was on the hills and she even had one man she had to get a restraining order out against after coming home one day and he was at her house with knives planning to kill her. So fair enough. And I feel like that's something that can't be overlooked, how traumatizing that is and scary. And she says, I never want to really be alone after that, which I completely sympathize with. She says, no one messed with me when I was with Corey. 
Corey would talk up some of the things I was doing professionally to friends. I even sometimes heard him on the phone with his family back in Australia, proudly sharing my accomplishments. Sometimes I found it hard to tell if he was into me because of my personality or because I was famous. She also says there's a fine line between being affectionate and proud and being possessive and jealous. And I don't know that the line is that fine. Problem is that Justin Bobby had never publicly admitted to dating her. So the fact that this man was like, and now you're not allowed to have any friends that aren't me. She's like, wow, I can't believe he's saying that out loud. She was really happy with the way he so aggressively declared her his. And she's like, Justin Bobby would never do this. And it's like, I know, but I think it has to do with, first of all, Justin Bobby being so noncommittal and her thinking that those little crumbs he was giving her were positive affirmation. Two, I think that she really looks up to Spencer and Heidi's relationship, which is fucked up. The way that Spencer manipulates Heidi, if you're looking to that as an ideal relationship, you're going to misstep. And then three, she just had all of a sudden just like an unlimited amount of time so that when someone was like, build your life around me, she's like, well, luckily I have the chance to do that right now. I have nothing else going on. Something else I think this show set her up to fail with now that I'm thinking about it is it's impossible for her to date somebody that doesn't want her for the fame because she can't date anybody that won't do the show. Yeah. So you have a Chris Pine who clearly wouldn't have been using her because he didn't want the publicity of being with her, but she couldn't date him because he didn't want the publicity of being with her. Right. So it's like this catch 22 of you can only date men who would want to be a part of that world. I also think that she got so used to being controlled that she found it normal for a long time. Like if someone was like, this is where I need you to be at all times. She was like, well, okay. Yeah. And I'm sure like it stunts you where, where you start. Right. So she's still like emotionally 19 in some ways. So September, 2010, she does dancing with the stars. And this is when she really sees a side of Corey that she had been reluctant to address before. Like the red flags turn into problems. And this is, I think less than six months into them being back together. So when the red flags start really rearing their big red heads, they're not that far down the road. Mm -hmm. So she does Dancing with the Stars and he is aggressively controlling. He is obsessed with the fact that she must be cheating on him with her dance partner, Tony, whenever the dances are very close and a little bit sensual, he would freak out. And she says that it was obvious to the other cast members that like his behavior was unacceptable. He would show up and like blow up her phone. If she was in dance rehearsals and didn't respond for a few hours, he would lose his mind. The way that it stressed her out was visible to everybody around her, but then he would show up to the live shows and be so loving and supportive and proud in front of the cameras. So she eventually gets booted off after six weeks. She goes, I was eliminated in week six at the end of October and I was truthfully surprised. It never seemed like we had the lowest scores. And in fact, we had that second highest scores that week. But truthfully, I breathed a sigh of relief that I didn't have to continue under Corey's microscope any longer. Can I tell you a line that I think made me the saddest in this whole book? Yeah. She says, I was embarrassed and I knew that Tony and some of the other people on the show were starting to notice. The stress was clearly affecting my headspace in rehearsals and I didn't want them to get the wrong impression of me or of Corey. The accusations also made me take a step back to consider, is this wrong? Am I being too touchy? When I read that line, I thought she was going to say, the accusations made me take a step back to consider, is this wrong? Should he be treating me this way? And the fact that she immediately went, is this wrong? Like, is what I'm doing wrong? I was like, Jesus Christ, no. She finally gets off. They go, she just keeps dating him. She goes and meets his family. She's getting all these perks from being a huge star and she's like spoiling him. She's taking him on all the free vacations. She's inviting his family on the free vacations. Looking back, I think Corey thought he could handle being with someone in the limelight. 
But whereas I could separate my real life from performances from the Audrina you see on TV, he couldn't. It felt like everything he initially loved about me and encouraged me to pursue became what he hated about me. Mentally, it put me in a dark place. I spent a lot of energy trying to figure out what I did wrong and what I could change. He was slowly showing me who he really was, but I was ignoring it. I wanted to see what I wanted to see and that willful ignorance would end up costing me. So her next professional pursuit is a TV show called Audrina. And she thinks it's going to be much better than The Hills because it's about her family. And she says, I saw what The Hills did to people's interpersonal relationships, but I thought since this is my family, things will only go well. And she also thinks that because she's an executive producer, she'll have more control over the fallout or like over what gets filmed and things like that. It ends up shredding her family. We filmed for three months, so short compared to The Hills, which had cameras rolling almost year round. I thought it would be fun and relaxing filming in our family home among the people I'm closest to. But the truth was it ripped my family apart. The show ripped my family apart for at least a year. I kept reaching out to my sister regularly and eventually because time heals, she was willing to talk. I mean, this is another part of her can't learn disease. The Hills was really, really trying. Then she was like, all right, if I just do this exact same thing again, it'll be better. And then when she and Corey are together, they almost do another reality show. I mean, she's on a reality show to this day. It also gives her family a time to get to know Corey, who's on the reality show with her and they're filming long days with him and they're starting to see who he really is and how he really treats her. And this is her family's first look at not liking Corey. She continues dating Corey. He becomes more and more controlling. She says, if I was out of the house for longer than an hour or two, all of Corey's Dancing with the Stars insecurities came flooding back. She was at a photo shoot and he lost his mind that she wasn't holding her phone the entire time. Whenever Corey came to visit, it seemed like he expected me to drop everything in my life to be with him. I started to feel smothered by his desire for control, which slowly started seeping into other aspects of my life. He once asked me to delete my Facebook account to prevent me from connecting with people he didn't know or approve of and to stop anyone from sending me messages. In retrospect, it's clear to me that he was trying to cut me off from my friends to isolate me so that he was the only person in my life I could turn to. It's also clear that he didn't trust me. She says, I can't quite explain why this didn't lead me to break up with him. Looking back on it now, it's embarrassing to remember that time and how I acted. It was as if I was able to block out or separate his egregious behavior from the Corey I wanted to be with. It really is that he gave her a couple of weeks of a really good guy and she just thought that there was like something blocking him from being that guy again and that was her fault. Yeah. She says, to add insult to injury, I also found out he was cheating. So she finds sex in his phone and he turns it around on her and is like, why are you looking at my phone? You're crazy. What are you doing? Sweeping through my phone. You're such a jealous bitch. So she kicks him out and then he becomes obsessed with winning her back. Well, he wouldn't leave. She ends up sleeping on the couch. He cheats and she sleeps on the couch. She tells her family, but then they just end up getting back together. So they end up getting to act together because of a pattern that'll start like, so she has a work trip. She's kind of flirting with this guy. A photo gets out and he calls her and screams at her and makes her feel really guilty. makes her feel really bad. And then she takes him back. She would miss calls from him and then the angry messages would put her in the mindset of like wanting to appease him. So instead of seeing those messages and being like, I need to get the fuck out of here, she would see the angry messages and be like, okay, what can I do to make him less angry? Which would be to keep making her life smaller and smaller and smaller to, and nothing ever did. You can't, I don't, it's really, it's really hard to read. The rest of this book really is just kind of like this cycle and it's example after example of him doing something horrible, her leaving, him trying to win her back, her getting back together with him, him doing something horrible again and her saying, okay, this is it. This is the final time. I broke up with him for real this time. And then a she few weeks later. Saying, she goes, the end of Audrina was also the end of me and Corey. Our breakup was captured in the final episode of the show. It wasn't. When Audrina came to a close, I was single, reeling from the drama within my family and from the dramatic breakup with Corey. So they're broken up 
It's 2012. And then, of course, Corey's grandfather dies. And he uses this really as an excuse to weasel back into her life. She goes over to take care of him. He goes home to Australia to go to the funeral and comes back and is a different man now, he claims. She says, my compassion outweighed my desire for a clean break. No matter what we'd been through, I felt for him during such a tough time. So I let him come over and talk to me and I offered my condolences. For the next several months, he was on his best behavior with the full court press of Corey Charm. Somewhere in my head, I knew that he was using his grandfather's death as a way to get back together. But damn, that charm was so intoxicating. But then, of course, there was more cheating. After all this time, something had changed. I didn't want the ups and downs anymore, and I didn't want to live a life without Corey either. So what did I do? I made him happy. I put him first always. I answered every phone call, checked in with him, stayed away from even talking to other men at work events. She stops taking auditions that would be good for her career. She doesn't take an audition for like Blue Mountain State, the TV show. She could have met our friend Denise. She's doing everything she can to like make him happy. And she says it works. For a while, they are happy because she's not doing anything but revolving around him. Finally, she lands a job hosting a show called First Look where she's traveling. It's like a travel show that's on at like 3 a.m. It seems like they're very on and off during these two years. She's traveling all the time, which I do think makes it very hard. She says she's only home four days a month. And I get that she's like, I'm on the road. I just want to talk to anybody. And he's somebody who'd always pick up. But of course, the cycles would begin. And he'd be out partying, sleeping with other girls. He would see a photo of her doing her job and get so mad and start screaming at her, accusing her of hooking up with other men yelling at her. They would stop talking and then he would weasel his way back in. At this time, she meets Chase Crawford from Gossip Girl and they really connect, but she's too hung up on Corey. So she's like, sorry, Chase, can't put you through this. She also runs into Justin Bobby at a club when she's shooting in New York, which got me nervous, but I think it was just a fun night. So after she finishes first look, she returns to Orange County. She loves it, but she had been traveling a lot. She wants to get back home. Okay. So when she gets home, guess who calls her? Corey. She goes to get all her stuff from his house. And of course, her aunt dies. So now she's reeling. Corey had known her aunt from filming and dating her. And he very much steps up to the plate, grieves with her whole family, is very supportive of her, is there for her, and is the charming Corey that we know he can be, but he isn't. So she, because he helps her so much through the death of her aunt, is like, he's obviously a new man. Then she finds out she's pregnant and he's over the moon. He's so happy. He's so excited about it. And she's like, well, this will be great then. Two weeks after they find out she's pregnant, he proposes to her. He says, we've been together for a long time now and I love you more than anything. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you marry me? I hope that's not exactly what he said. If he's like, listen, we've been doing this for a minute. We should probably just get married. I do feel like she gives him the benefit of the doubt and sheds the best light possible even in this book. So I bet what he said was worse than that. God. All of a sudden, I was 29 years old and about to become a mother and a wife. It was time to reevaluate my priorities and figure out how to create a safe and nurturing environment for our baby. I still wasn't 100% sure that I could trust my relationship with Corey. Yes, I realized what a red flag that is in retrospect. So I wanted to take control in the areas I could. So first, the thing that's really important to her is having a home by her parents. So they sell her house in LA and she moves to the OC. And two is that she raises this baby in a two-parent household. Yeah, when she tells her parents, she says they had their reservations about us parenting together. But at that point, Corey was the best he'd ever been. And they'd also seen how he'd reacted after Aunt Darla's death. They hoped, as I did, that this was the sign of a reformed man. There is no such thing as a reformed man. For three months, things are great. She announces it online. They go and spend holidays with his family. And then after they spend holidays with his family in Australia, where he's from, I don't know if we've said that yet, he's from Australia. He goes on a six-month like world tour with his BMX company. When he was traveling for competitions and sponsored content creation, Corey often wouldn't call me for days at a time. I thought he'd check in with me, his pregnant fiance, daily, or respond to my texts at the very least, but no. 
Then I'd find out he was at a casino all night with his single friends and random girls gambling until the sunrise and then sleeping through the next day. I was so sensitive to his moods. When it was good, we would talk about the baby and our little family and how excited we were and how precious our little girl would be. But I could never truly enjoy those times because I'd started to realize that the other shoe would always drop. I prepared myself mentally to have and raise this baby alone. I was still going to marry him. Raising our little girl within a traditional family was that important to me. But I started to see that he wouldn't be there when I needed him. That is a heartbreaking paragraph to say I was going to raise this baby alone whilst I was still planning to marry him, but I was going to be alone in that marriage. And just being okay with it and proceeding with the marriage. Like you're not even in the marriage yet. You don't have to die in this. So she goes ahead with the house. She like really gets herself just busy creating this perfect life. He doesn't care enough about the house to even come back and help her look for it or find it or move into it. So she has to co-sign on the house with her grandpa. And then finally, when she's about to give birth. So she has to have a C-section because the baby's in a weird position they moved the C-section because he has a photo shoot. And not only that, but the week before, she asked him to help her move into the house because they moved into the house two weeks before the baby was due. And he said no, and he goes to Vegas. So she also begins at this time a swimwear line because she wants to have a job that'll allow her to be more flexible and away from Hollywood and out of LA when she raises her child. She calls it Prey Swim, P-R-E-Y, like something you prey on, which I have to say, why? Why does she call it that? I think she likes hawks. She didn't name it Hawk Swim. She named it like the prey. It's not birds of prey. Oh yeah. It's their victims. Rat Swim. She also threw herself into planning a wedding. We decided to get married in Hawaii, which is halfway between our two families. She went to Hawaii several times. She is really proud of how much work she put in planning this wedding. God bless. It sounds like exactly what she wanted. I will say, even though obviously they were divorced within a year, she stands by that fucking wedding. She's like, that wedding was the best thing I ever did. So on the morning of Friday, June 24th, 2016, my baby girl was born. She was perfectly healthy, eight pounds, four ounces. The C-section went smoothly. Everything went according to plan. And then she was in my arms and she talks about how much she loves her. I mean, she just loves this baby so much. She named her Kira Max. She named her after an Australian beach because she's like, I wanted to have a little nod to Corey's Australian heritage. And I have to say what she says about Corey next goes in the hall of fame of low bars for men. (laughs) The way that men act in a delivery room. And then the way that women will just contort themselves into the freakiest little positions to be like, they did such a good job. She goes, Corey also fell in love with Kira in the hospital. As I recovered from the C-section and learned to breastfeed, we all bonded as a family. Corey was supportive, engaged, and excited. He was a proud father and invited all his friends to visit. He even FaceTimed his family in Australia to show off Kira. That's what we're celebrating that he called his mom when his daughter was born. Can you even believe that he was so excited about having a live human baby that he would call the grandparents? Go Corey. (laughs) And I mean, this is the par for the course. There's always a couple great weeks where the guy seems amazing. He's so excited. He's so in love with the baby. Within the few months, it all goes to shit. It only took a few months with Kira before Corey caught on to the shift. He'd often talk about how I didn't give enough attention or make enough time for him. As a result, even when he was home, he was often hanging out and drinking with his friends. If I hear one more fucking man say that baby that requires round the clock care and can't function on its own is getting more attention than me and I hate that, again, I will literally run them over with a car. You can arrest me for saying this is an actual threat. (laughs) That was fine by me. I was already very used to doing it all on my own, just me and Kira. So then we get to the wedding. They have a gorgeous wedding in Hawaii. They have like a big block of rooms at a gorgeous resort. Corey's friends rented a beach house a little bit farther away. Corey spent most of his time there. She said she specifically chose a very private venue so that the photos wouldn't leak. Luckily, one of Corey's invitees sold the location to a paparazzi and the photos lucked anyway. 
However, right before they were about to get married, which her parents paid for, and it was like a week-long event at the resort so all the families could get to know each other, they almost didn't make it because she said that she wanted a prenup. Fair enough. They go to the lawyer. They dropped everything up. After the conversation, my attorney drew up the documents and shockingly, Corey didn't want to sign. He was furious saying that any prenup agreement meant that I didn't trust him and if there was no trust between us, then why were we ever getting married in the first place? I said as calmly as I could, I'm not marrying you if you don't sign it. And I meant it. His response was, I don't give a fuck then. Cancel the wedding. It's not my money. It was so hurtful. I broke down crying in our bedroom after the meeting. I told him how disrespectful it would be to cancel the wedding on short notice because of the prenup after how much money, planning, and care my family had put into it. And beyond that, I put so much effort into making our relationship work. That is so, to be like, listen, there's been a lot of money and a lot of work that's gone into this, so we can't toss it now. Everybody did not want her to go through with this. Her sister, the day before the wedding, she said, Audrina, you don't have to do this. Let's pack our bags. Mom and dad can handle the rest of the guests. Let's just get on a plane and go. She said, I just couldn't do that to my family and to our guests. I knew how much my parents had paid for the wedding and how much we had all put into planning it. I just want to say real quick to anyone the night before your wedding, if you don't want to go to it, the people who you've invited want to see you happy more than they want to see you married. More than that, I felt that my family wanted this to work. Like me, they wanted to build a family with Kira. I felt I just couldn't walk away without first seeing if we could make it as husband and wife. Okay, I will say, if you can't make it as boyfriend, girlfriend, I don't think you're going to make it as husband and wife. After my divorce, I came to find out that so many of my friends and family wished they had stopped me and told me that they felt like my wedding was a mistake. But they wanted to support me and they saw how I was determined to make this work. The morning of the wedding, I woke up feeling fine. I was on autopilot. I felt relaxed and focused, just put one foot in front of the other, which by that point I was very good at. I knew that it would destroy me to wake up on my wedding day and feel doubt and fear, so I made the conscious decision to not have those emotions. I put them aside and did what I felt I had to do. You did not have to do it. Like You just could have not done it. It really breaks my heart when people think that they like have to get married to make someone else happy. You're supposed to get married to make yourself happy. Yeah, and also she keeps saying that these were mistakes that she made because she was such a people pleaser. And I mean, she had already said since the days of her reality TV show, her family did not like him. They knew that he had cheated on her. They saw how he treated her. They did not like him. The people that she was trying to please were honestly biting their tongue and fighting to be supportive. She says, I hoped and prayed with all my heart that we would be okay. In that moment, I believed we could make it. So they get married. They have a fun party. She says, Corey and I stayed up to the wee hours of the morning, then went back up to my room to pass out. It wasn't exactly a wedding night filled with passion. I actually don't think most wedding nights are filled with passion. I think if you're going to party that hard and be up all day getting your face tuckered out... She says, later my sister Sam told me that it was like I left my body entirely that day. To everyone else, it looked like I was functioning normally, but she saw that behind my smile, I was a robot. It was a big lesson for me about people pleasing. And if I had listened to my heart instead of doing what I thought other people wanted me to do, I know now that I wouldn't have gone through with it. Unfortunately, that realization is a little too late. Despite all of the bad that has unfolded between me and Corey since that day, the wedding party itself is an incredible and cherished memory for me and my whole family. We had an amazing trip. (laughs) So the first couple of weeks of marriage, his family ends up coming from, so they go from Australia to Hawaii, then they go to LA to stay with them for a couple of weeks and really get to know Kira. And one morning she has to go into the office and she asks Corey if he can watch their child babysit your own baby. And he was like, no, I'm going surfing with my friends. And she's like, you always go surfing with your friends. Can I just do one meeting? And he was like, no. And she was like, his parents were there. And so I hoped that they would see him acting like a dickhead and talk to him. And it's like, Audrina, you can't be like, oh, he was acting like a cunt in front of his own mom. So maybe she would say a word about it. This is also the second time she says this. They had gone to visit his family at another point and they had gotten into a fight. And so she explained to them, well, we're fighting because he's constantly cheating on me. 
and had hoped that they would tell him to stop cheating on her. And although I do think that as a mother, you should say to your son, don't cheat. Yeah. <laughs> That's wrong. I do kind of think as an adult woman, you need to say, if he's constantly cheating on me, maybe I don't ask his mom to fix it. Maybe I fix it by leaving. I do think if there's like something you want your partner to know, you either have to tell them or you have to be like, it's a deal breaker for me and I don't want to move past it. But I think you can't be like, for us to solve this problem, his mother has to tell him. She then tells another story about the one time she left Corey alone with the baby. Her friends had planned a bachelorette trip for her one night in Vegas. And so she leaves Corey with the baby. As soon as she leaves, of course, she calls him, can't get a hold of him. Finally, he calls her back and it's like late at night and he's at his friend's house drinking. When she gets back from Vegas, she sees that there are vomit stains in Kira's bassinet. And she says it's pretty clear that he had left Kira in like a dirty bassinet the whole night, which is parental neglect, I believe. So she never trusts Corey with the baby alone again. If you have a husband that you're afraid to be around and you can't leave your baby around, like what are you, it's so hard to read this because I'm like, Audrina, what were you holding on to? And of course, on top of all of this, of being a horrible father, he's being horrible to her. You know, he's going out constantly partying, coming home and just screaming at her. Anytime she does anything, he screams at her. If she doesn't pick up the phone right away, he screams at her. He will go on these benders where she won't hear from him for days. And then when he comes home, if she doesn't pick up the phone, he's accusing her of things. He's constantly cheating and then accusing her of cheating. So she was afraid to spend time with her friends. She was also afraid that if she spent time with her friends, then she would tell them the truth about what her relationship was like. She says there was just too much emotion lurking below the surface for me to open up. And if anything came out, I knew I would break. The hardest thing was, even if I did say something, I didn't know if people would believe me. Everyone else saw him as this charming, good looking, happy guy. That could not have been true. I don't know. It's hard because it seems like everywhere she goes, people are very aware of his effect on her. You know what I mean? If one day at a photo shoot, everybody on staff is aware that he is scary. Luckily, she does have her parents. And even though she doesn't fully open up to them, it does seem like they knew the whole time what was going on. And she keeps saying, she's like, I never wanted to tell them what was going on. I didn't want them to worry. But she would go over to their house once, twice, three times a week and stay for a few days at a time every time he came home drunk and angry just because she was scared and didn't want to deal with him. And so she would just drive over there in the middle of the night frequently. And she was like, yeah, I didn't want to tell them what was going on. And I'm like, I have a feeling they knew. I have a feeling that when you were coming over often at midnight to sleep at their house instead of your own house that you bought. Okay, there's a really fine line between supporting your friends and the people in your life and lying to them. And I wonder how many people had flat out lied to her on accident because they thought they were being supportive. I have a friend who was in a relationship that was, none of us liked it. And one of my friends at dinner who was just happy that this friend was in a relationship at one point was like, you picked a good one. She had not picked a good one. None of us thought that. Like, you don't have to be mean to someone. You don't have to like seem unsupportive, but you don't have to flat out say you picked. And I wonder how many of Audrina's friends were like, Corey's a winner. Yeah, beautiful wedding for a beautiful couple, like a picture perfect family. Right. Like how many people said little things like that, that were flat out lies? Like it's one thing to be supportive and it's another thing to lie. And I wonder if that's why she thought maybe that she was letting people down or that they wouldn't believe her. That's why I don't believe in shipping even celebrity couples because you never really know what's going on behind closed doors and you never want to be part of the image that someone feels they have to cling to above their own wellness. Right. Right. Like maybe it was the tabloids. Maybe it was like Audrina finally has a man who likes her back. And she was like, I didn't want them to know that that wasn't true. That's a good point. I do wonder if part of it was like the shame of being publicly known as the girl who couldn't get a boyfriend. Yeah. She doesn't talk about that in here, but I do think that that would factor into your psyche if you were always known as the girl who couldn't get the guy. He was constantly chasing Justin Bobby. He wouldn't say yes. Finally, you had a man who was riding so hard for you that it was scary. And she's like, well, at least he's riding for me. And she does talk a lot about 
wanting to come off happy. She is also very afraid, she says, of what it'll read in the tabloids. That's the other thing is when you are a public figure, it's not just something quietly you can handle. There is always the fallout of the publicity. But she also says that there's tons of photos of her just like crying because of him. And it was pretty publicly known that they were in a bad relationship. I just don't think for some reason her brain was functioning that way yeah. to like understand that people would understand. Or that they knew. That's the thing is the idea that she was doing such a good job holding it all together and putting on this front. And the front's never fooling anybody. Yeah. So then they start going to couples therapy. And they go to one of those therapists that you're scared of. A fucking idiot. She told us that whenever Corey became angry and started yelling at me, that I should, in fact, stay where I was and engage. That when I walked out of the room to avoid a fight, I was actually emotionally abusing him by not allowing him to say his piece. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I knew the fights were irrational and they wouldn't lead to constructive conversations. He would follow me from room to room, getting angrier and angrier. Nevertheless, I opened up to share my real feelings with Corey in these sessions. I let my guard down and let myself be vulnerable and he pretended to be receptive in therapy. But after we left, he would use what I said to hurt me because now he knew all of my insecurities. If he knew something he said particularly hurt my feelings, he would be sure to use that in later arguments knowing it would hurt me the most. The last two months of our relationship were a roller coaster off the tracks that just kept plummeting down in a free fall. I was so numb and isolated and depressed. So finally they get into like a horrific fight. Yeah, she says that they had gotten into this habit of he would come home at like 3 a.m. and he would shake her awake screaming at her. And that was just something that she was used to. And one of these nights... She woke up to him screaming at her because she knew that he was cheating on her. I mean, he was constantly cheating on her, but I guess he had found out a recent one and she had made a comment to him about it. And so he woke her up, shaking her, screaming, who told you and yelling obscenities at her and just like absolutely verbally assaulting her. He finally passes out, goes to sleep downstairs. And when she goes to take the baby out of the house in the morning, he wakes up and starts screaming at her again. And she can tell that this is different. So she like begs him to just be calm. And she's like, I'm just going to drop the baby off at my parents. I'll come right back. We can talk about it later. And she keeps saying, I'm not even mad that you cheated. I don't care. Like, I'm not mad. It doesn't matter. I'm not mad. And he wants to have this fight. So finally, she goes to pack up the baby and he shoves her with the baby in her arms. And that's sort of the end point for her. She can't take it anymore. Yeah, so she ends up having to call the police. Well, that's not even... Is that when she calls the police or is it This the is next? why it's confusing because she says that there was the day that her marriage ended. This is the day she says her marriage ended. But then she talks about two months later, they're still living together. They're still together. And then she has to file a police report against him. So I think she goes for her father this time. So after that day, I think emotionally she's ready to separate. Her dad's like, you have to call the police. And she's like, I can't. She gets out of the house and she says they just start living parallel lives. Two months later... Another fight comes up. She locks herself in the room with the baby and he starts just like breaking things over his head, punching the wall, claiming he's going to run to the street and kill himself because she's trying to leave him. And then he starts screaming at her that he's going to ruin her life and he'll like spend the rest of his life trying to destroy her. And finally, her dad's like, you must call the police right now. So she calls the police and files a report against him. And that day goes and files for divorce. Yes, because her big fear was that as soon as she filed a police report, it would be actually over because it would be public record and people would know the relationship she was in, which is really just like a heartbreaking thought process. A few months later, she's at an event. They haven't seen each other. They have a custody agreement where they pass the baby off at the police station. So she gets a restraining order because a couple months later, she's at a panel about to speak and he finds her backstage and like accosts her and starts screaming at her that she's keeping the baby from him. So that's when she gets the restraining order. He also like squatted in her house that he refused to buy. He wouldn't leave their house. Despite having a prenup and the house was her house, she had to pay him off to get him to vacate their home. $38,000 that she had to borrow from her parents. 
when she finally gets back into her house because he's gone, she finds a letter in her drawer that he wrote her. And she says, it was clear to me that he hoped this letter would be the first step in winning me back. It was so sad in many ways. The letter painted him as the heartbroken victim and guilted me about breaking up our family. It was hard to read. And for a moment, this last ditch effort at manipulation almost worked. Adrena, she is breaking my fucking heart. So then she just gets into, you know, they finally get a divorce. They're still working on custody. She's very hurt by the way that he treats her still and the way that he'll take photos with Kira and his new girlfriend. She doesn't think it's appropriate, but I guess she's doing what she can. And then she talks about Hill's new beginnings and she's like, it was a very raw time for me to do the Hill's new beginnings. I was going through a divorce. A lot of it was actually much realer and rawer because we were all coming out of these fucked up situations like divorces. And seems like everyone was kind of aimless after that show ended because I don't think any of them did anything really beyond that except Kristen. I mean, and obviously Lauren, she like kind of did her own thing. But she says, where do we start? Do we hold on to the lingering dramas and resentments and pretend everything's okay? Or do we let everything out and just go for it? The answer to that question for me was complicated. Everything has a complicated answer when you're Audrina. She also says, I've always had a lot of respect for Heidi and Spencer. They put their marriage above everything else and are on the same team always. Both of them embrace who they are fully and without apologies. I don't know that that's a good marriage to be emulating. As for me, I brought a sense of perspective and maturity to filming that I didn't have a decade ago. I now understand the difference between organic and manufactured drama. And I accept that the producers sometimes need to push or plant seeds of gossip to create a good show. I don't think she understands that. Because then she goes on to say, she also got reacquainted with Justin, whom I hadn't seen in years. After my divorce, he'd heard the news and reached out to see how I was doing. Well, first I found out he was concerned about me from an interview he did promoting his band. But soon enough, I actually heard from him. We filmed our first dinner together for the show and it was such a shock to my system. Our connection and our chemistry was still there, just as powerful and knee-weakening as always. With his flirty smirk, he said about my marriage, I don't think that was the love of your life. It's funny. In some ways, it felt like no time had passed at all. After we reconnected, there was definitely a flirtation there. But it's hard to know whether it was manufactured for the show or if something real was rekindling. Just when I would feel good and optimistic about our potential, he would disappear for a few days and not call me back. I couldn't believe I was dealing with the same game playing as 10 years ago. The mixed signals never end. Audrina and them. I want to have compassion for you. And I, my heart goes out. I think you're a good person. I think you're very kind. I think you're very sweet. But you cannot at 36 be dealing with the same bullshit that you're dealing with at 19 after a divorce and a baby. Like meet a new man. This man heard that you were going to be on a TV show again. So he reached back out again. You're single and you're going to be on TV. So he's back with like... Stop it. How can you fall for it again? And then after that doesn't work out, guess who she gets back with Ryan Cabrera again. And do you know what went wrong this time? It turns out he was so nice and he was so kind and it still just wasn't what she wanted. He said something awful like, I'd always take care of you and love you and support you through whatever you wanted to do. And she's like, can you imagine a guy saying that to me? I was not in the place to hear that. Finally, her divorce was finalized. She says, I was overwhelmed, relieved, and deeply sad. I'd been waiting for over a year. So to have the process itself behind me was a weight lifted. Finally, I could move forward, but still I was mournful. I wondered, did I give it my all? What would my life look like now if we'd stayed together? Bad. It would have looked bad. That's what breaks my heart is the idea that she thinks she didn't give it her all. The idea that she's not 100% sure that she could not have ended up with Corey. The thing is, she, I guess, technically did not give it her 100% because if you give yourself 100% to something else, you disappear. You cannot give 100% of yourself away. Then you're gone. Giving it your all, like putting full effort into a relationship means both of you together putting forth what you have together. It does not mean you giving yourself away to someone. A question I do have, and this may be cynical, but when people are like, how could you not give it your all? Like, should a relationship take like a Herculean feat of 100% of your energy? Right. If a relationship is taking 100% of your energy just to function, how are you supposed to do anything else in your life? It should be a source of love and support. I mean, did you give it your all? You 
shaped your entire life and career around him, your friendships. Everything you did was around him and his schedule and his cruelty. So yeah, you gave it your all and he gave it nothing. She says at one point that she loved the idea of them ending up together because they had this hard-earned fairy tale. No. I don't know. I don't think a relationship should take 100% of your effort. I do think parts of it should come easy. Like I get it's not gonna be easy all the time, but it shouldn't be hard all the time. Anyway, Justin once told me something after (laughs) Ryan and I broke up that I'll never forget. He said, you can tell when two people are meant to be together. I don't know if I believe that. I haven't experienced that kind of assuredness yet, but I'm hopeful that one day I will. I hate the idea that she thinks Justin is this romantic. She quotes Justin a couple times. Another quote that she reminds you is, like Justin always says, truth in the time, tell all. Truth doesn't tell all. Time presumably will tell the truth, but that's like that doesn't even make sense. I hate... But can I say this one does make sense. It's just not deep at all. You can tell when two people are meant to be together. Yeah, you can look at a couple and see if they're a good couple or a bad couple. Like if you've gotten to know a couple, it is actually not that hard to tell if they make sense or not. Call me crazy. She also wants you guys to know that her and Brody are really good friends, but they've never hooked up. There was a mutual respect and an admiration and maybe more. That means she's going to go for Brody next. She's also starting her swim line again. Also, she says she was surprised about a manufactured fight that she had with Heidi. She was shocked that Heidi ended up getting so mad at her after like 10 pages earlier when she's like, now I understood the difference between show and real drama. It ends with a letter to Kira where she just says, you have made me a better person. You are so loved. You are strong. I want you to know there will be hard times in your life and struggles we can't yet imagine. You might find yourself in a relationship that's not working and a job that's stifling your potential or frustrated, overlooked, misunderstood in some way. There's nothing I can do to protect you from that, but I can prepare you to know who you are and what you're capable of, something I already see. She says, I want you to know the power of your voice. I do hope that Kira learns the power of her voice. This book was a really tough read. I mean, my heart goes out to Audrina because I think this is a book written by somebody who's still in the throes of it. And I don't know that she'll ever get out. Like, I don't have faith in her that she will find a good relationship. I don't have faith in her. Yeah. And and it breaks my heart because you want to, but the idea that she got out of that relationship and went back to Justin Bobby is like unbelievable. I understand that. Obviously I've never had a child with somebody. So like I can't, I've never experienced what it is to try to want to make it work. But I do think at some point she knows that that wasn't a good relationship for her to be in. She knows that's not what she wants her daughter to see. She knew before they got married that she could not ever trust her husband alone with her baby. And so to still at the end of this be like, with a restraining order out, be like, damn, would it have worked if we just tried a little longer is, I don't know, it just breaks my heart. I don't know. I wish this had a happier ending than it seems to have. I mean, I really hope that she learns. I really hope she reflects. And I really hope that honestly, this book exists. Honestly, I texted Clara reading this book is like a horror movie. The amount of times that she breaks up with Corey and gets back together. And I knew what was coming. I knew that she had a child with him. So I like knew that eventually they were going to get back together in a way that was honestly irreparable because now they're forever tied. I kept just like watching it being like, don't go in the house. Don't go back in the house. Like, don't go in there. Don't open that door. Don't let him in. It's so hard to read. And I do feel like the way that it's so obvious could actually help someone who's going through a situation. I don't think you always realize how obvious it is in your own life. Mm -hmm. So if someone who's in a relationship with like all these red flags, they're like just fighting a constant uphill battle. I do feel like reading this, you're like, wait a second. It is clear. The answer is right there. Mm -hmm. So that's what I hope this book is for. On the Patreon this week, (laughs) we will be looking back at our favorite moments from the hills and the whole era come down memory lane with us. Boy, oh boy, are there Capri pants. We love you guys. And Ashley, who do we love the most? Oh, and don't forget the wormhole on Facebook. We'll 
plug in the show notes, but it's a really fun spot where people are very nice to each other. I have to say, I'm always really proud of it. It's a private group. Check it out. And I want to say thank you to Bryce Potts, who has been mastering our audio for the last couple of weeks. If you think we've sounded better than ever, that is exactly why. Follow them on Instagram at morninghours01. And I would like to thank our five-star reviewing Wormies. Burn, burn, baby. You can light my house on fire any day. C123A, I see what you did there. Bernie Spencer, feel the burn, baby. Kate and Kate 44, times that by two, and you're Kate and Kate plus 88. Britney Smears, hell yeah, baby. Like Britney Spears' eyeliner. Moss Farm, Keep growing that moss. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. One Direction Lover, 3736. I'll follow you in any direction. Trina Boo, 72. You're a goddamn poet and you didn't even know it. Zuzu Loss. I would pay a bazillion dollars to go to that zoo. Patrick Dominic S. Sounds almost McDreamy to me. Chloe Lem. Sippy Cup 16. Baby, keep on staying hydrated. Crandis Picklebody. My favorite kind of body. Very sexy. Lizzie for shizzy for shizzle lizzle. Carolyn Narlene. You can lean on me anytime. Self-care coca. Coca-Cola is a form of self-care. Slay Herbie. Hell yeah. Herbie, slay until you're fully loaded. Breezy Twin Mom. Oh my gosh. There's two of you. I'm so impressed. Erin7920. My favorite Aaron of all time, Mikalef 1213, lucky number Mikalef 13. Del Rey is my bay. You've picked a great bay. Hannah May 0000, the first Hannah May of all time. Liam C415, I think that's an explosive, and baby, it is hot. Former unicorn, just keep believing. I bet you'll be a unicorn again someday. Hannah Candle, the absolute brightest of all time. Antal Pasta, my favorite pasta shape. Thank you for leaving us this beautiful review. Jess K exclamation point. I am so thrilled to hear from you, Jess K. An exclamation point's worth. That's all for this week. I love you guys so much. See you next week, baby.